From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 232 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing just fine. How are you, Michael? Oh, doing well. So we are um, we were enjoying a, a brief period of cool weather, which for us means low 90s. Mm. So, <laughs> so it's uh, it's been very pleasant here. Nice. So. I am enjoying cool weather because I am currently, as of this point, uh, I am sailing in Alaska. Yeah, yeah. I know. I was going to ask you more about that in our towards the end of the show because I want to hear what shore excursions you're doing, what ports you're going to, things like that. Oh, so. for sure, I'd be happy to share. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little uh, a little good energy out right now, though, and say the weather is perfect. You know, all those all those uh, days of rain showers that looked like they were on on the projected outlook for us, all those ended up just completely missing us it's completely smooth uh, nice chilly like upper 60s and getting down into the the low 50s and upper 40s and just uh the aurora borealis was popping out it just uh, uh orca jumped magnificently in front of all of us every with a polar bear on its back yeah <laughs> exactly and, <laughs> and a seal uh with a lasso following them from far behind so all of all of that was happening, and uh, that's how it's going to go. But yeah, I'll, I'll share more after we're we're done with everything important that we have to get to first. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you listen to last week's episode, you know that this is the time of year when we invite members of our Connecting with Walt family to become part of the show by submitting questions for me and Craig to answer. Uh, we got a lot into theme parks and a little into. Uh, Walt Disney and the company last week. Uh, we may visit theme parks again this week, and we'll go into some of the other categories of your questions and and sort of um, finish up as many as we can. So I, I'm going to go back this week, Craig, into the theme park section, and let me find the question that i wanted to answer to ask you in here all right uh, matthew i'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his last name because i will massacre it um, but matthew asked um, ip is integrated in most disney attractions some new and some that have been rethemed over the years which modern ride would you retheme and which original ride would you retheme and with which ip See, this is very difficult because I feel like modern is subjective. 
in this day and age because we are currently celebrating Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. And, you know, when, uh, when asking this question, I, I don't want anything to ever happen to our Tower of Terror, but like the first thing that popped in my mind, what an answer could be was, oh, you know, Tower of Terror, take that and retheme it into Guardians, just like they did in California Adventure, because it, it is very fun. But our Tower of Terror is incredible. The Twilight Zone is amazing. So they need to never do that and just leave it as it is. But then I started thinking about that more and like that opened in 1994. So I, th- I think 94. Maybe even maybe ninety three. I definitely, I think definitely ninety four. I could be wrong. It might even be ninety five. I don't know. The point is, I was trying to make is it's approaching its thirtieth birthday for a resort that's only been around for you know fifty years. So I don't. Can you even call something like that modern anymore, or is that that starting to go too far? But. uh Regardless, I'll, I'll have that internal debate with myself, but I'm going to kind of answer it in uh, in two steps uh, because I do have an answer for the original ride as well. Uh, but for the modern ride, as much as I love Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, I am already going to get rid of that and I am going to take it back and implement parts of the great movie ride in it because honestly, the the trackless ride design i think is just so much fun and even though it is following a set pattern and there's not the spontaneity that we feel like there is with it i i feel like i feel like they could still took us through a ride through the movies even if it would have been a ride through disney movies with mickey mouse or uh, you know, something, something along that line. I feel like they could have still implemented the same updates to it, but making it a little bit more exciting, making it a little bit more, more fun and rather than, than the slow pace of what great movie ride was. And I, I know people loved great movie ride. I did too. It was a very important ride to me and it's, it helped spark a love of movies for it. But obviously Disney is stuck in the mindset that, you know, build as many, as many, uh, rides that, that are exciting and will bring people in as possible in less of the old slow rides. And so I, I feel like they didn't need to completely abandon necessarily the movie theme they could have left that but still found a way to integrate mickey mouse in and you know considering that ride is all screens i feel like they could easily easily convert it into something uh taking you through movies uh granted it is so fast-paced that it would be very very hard to get through but i i don't even something as simple as like going through the history of Disney's animated movies and you start off in Snow White and then you go on a frantic pace all the way to where modern modern Disney movies are and then end in that final scene where they're having their perfect picnic instead you're seeing the most recent Disney movies and seeing the examples of that so that way they can constantly update that as something new comes out so that way it doesn't doesn't go out of date immediately on it but i feel like something like that could have been really really unique and in terms of the original ride i would retheme i'm going to it's a stretch in calling it original because it's basically just a roller coaster but uh 
rock and roller coaster. It, that's it is that's the one I was I had too. Yeah, and I I'm of two minds with it. Uh, I part of me will always push for a goofy movie overlay to it because it is goofy movie is just a hit with people who are my age and i'm assuming younger as well too it is just pure nostalgia for us and i feel like the movie actually holds up and can still find an audience so the obvious go in you know do the same entire ideas you need to get to the concert but just make it you have to get to the the power line concert is just i I feel like that's right out there blatant that they could overlay so easily without really changing anything at all with it but that being said too if if there was a way to infuse marvel into it the same way that they did with the the iron man attraction in disneyland paris even though that's not getting great great reviews per se uh i still think i would like them to do something like that because with roller coasters you obviously have that feeling of flight that goes along with it and since so many (laughs) the marvel movies involve flight i mean look at guardians of the galaxy cosmic rewind that is technically that's technically a next step of a rock and roller coaster or space mountain i feel like there's something something that they can do with it too and i I don't think it's necessarily fair to put all all roller coasters as marvel rides but there's definitely an argument to be made why they fit really well so those are those are my two choices yeah i thought rock and roller coaster would be one um and and i did think of the goofy movie because i thought okay that's an easy conversion over so like you said and uh, and uh, you know that i can't ride rock and roller coaster it makes me sick so but and then, and then i thought and then or you could theme it to the incredibles somehow because you know we have the incredible coaster out here in california adventure i thought they could make some sort of story involving the incredibles oh easily. and you could be going and, on an open house of like mm-hmm. edna mode's facility and then you get have you have to get rushed off to go on an adventure with the Incredibles. I didn't even think about that, but that's like, I I feel like that is easy bait right there. And you know, Disney loves the Incredibles anytime they can use that. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I was thinking, okay, they probably want something a little more modern, more recent than a goofy movie. But I thought, you know, we have Mickey, Mickey and Minnie and runway railway. It would be cool to have goofy have an attraction as well. Um, you know, with in rock and roller coaster with the goofy movie. And then another thing that I would rethink, because I've talked about this many times, is Rivers of America and, you know, the Liberty Bell, in that there's nothing to see, unlike Disneyland's, where we actually have sets, you know, we, we have show scenes all around the river. And I don't know, there's some, there's, you know, a lot of the nature, of course, add in animals and critters and all that. This is where you could bring in Davy Crockett and there could be so much you could bring in, um, you know, into, into that, just, you know, re-theming it. I'm trying to think of other IPs they have that they could drop in there, but I mean, they could even do, you know, some of the, you know, the old, you know, they did the cartoons. They could have Paul Bunyan in there from that cartoon and you know some of those other you know have 
a scene with Johnny Appleseed in there. I mean, there's all kinds of things they could do. So, um, but I don't know. That's just a, that's a journey that needs to be updated. I feel something needs to be done there. And they can also start coming up with ideas for movies that would help fit that. Because I feel like, I feel like that has to be a current mindset with how Disney makes their projects. Like, knowing that they have to incorporate them into theme parks, why not start thinking about that when you're developing movies and saying, hey, this could fit in this way in a park. Mm -hmm. This could take over this. Like, it almost needs to pass a test like that before it can be made. Otherwise, you're making stuff that then no one knows anything what to do with it and it's like okay well you know we'll we'll add a meet and greet two months too late and then maybe we'll consider an attraction years down the road and yeah that's, that's not the right way so start start looking at the parks look at what areas could need you know some some life infused in them work with imagineering on it and be like okay we have an idea for a movie that we want to make based around this and go from there and then hope the movie's a hit <laughs> like, you know, there was the rumor that, you know, if Lightyear was a hit, they were going to retheme uh, Disneyland Space Mountain to be Lightyear. And then then we got the meet and greet of Lightyear. He's already out of the parks. But um, since the movie did not do well. well Space but, Mountain is fine as it is. It does I agree. Any. Or if it does, if it has to have anything, I'm I'm always a fan of the uh, hyperspace mountain. I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, and then and, and Ghost uh, Ghost Galaxy, yeah, which they, they stopped doing years day. ago. Pardon me. I hope they bring that back one day. I do too. They seem they seem to be dropping things from Disneyland's um, holiday celebrations. Like we don't get the Jingle Cruise anymore. We don't get Ghost Galaxy anymore. Um, yeah, I wish they'd bring those back. That's a shame, especially okay. because your Jingle Cruise was superior to ours and. Now we look at ours and like, yeah, it's great. It's awesome because there's nothing to compare it to. So <laughs> it's fine with what it is. Uh, but I'm going to ask you the next question. And this one comes from, I believe, Jolene. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But uh, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm only going to ask one part of this question because it actually goes along very much with what Michael just discussed with Rivers of America. And uh, the question goes... Uh, does it feel like we are losing more and more of the art of set design and relying on tech for the wow factor now? I mean, the first part of Ellen's energy adventure was so nice with dinosaurs and waterfalls. I don't understand why they didn't make the film portions into something more fun or interactive. The land seems like it gets more minimalistic every year. And what they did to test track is just sad. Do you think we'll <laughs> ever see another horizon style ride or the date days of detailed sets long gone? Um, yeah. And then she added, thanks for all you do. So that was just nice. <laughs> that is it. I, I thought you wrote that as a note for me. So, oh, well, yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> I, I don't think we'll see another horizon style ride. Those, those long, I think those long, slow rides that tell a story like that are gone. Those days are just gone. Now yeah. people want something fast and exciting or, or they want to be wowed and all that. Um, I'm trying to think of set designs. 
I agree now it's it's about technology. They rely on projections and, you know, things like that. And and the problem is when they fail, that really impacts the attraction. You know, um, you know, like when they have, you know, now some of the faces are sort of like projections mm-hmm. on some of the characters. And when those don't work, I mean, that's huge. I've been on it like um, the Frozen attraction where Anna or um, Anna, yeah, Anna um, just didn't, her face wasn't working. So, and that that was pretty, just didn't work well. So, um, but I don't know, then I'm just, I'm trying to think, but then there were some set designs, like, I don't know, like um, uh, our, our news, our Snow White attraction, and which is, has some similarities to the, the um, Seven Dwarves Runaway Mine Train. There's some nice set design in there, in in those attractions. Yes, and I, I think that's what I was going to use as an example uh, and kind of mold the way she asked the question, saying, are those, those detailed sets long gone? I think it's the part of it is it's the long detailed sets are what's gone because I mm-hmm. still feel like we get them and attractions like with the Snow White attraction at Disneyland that uh, there is a lot of details put into those sets. And it's just, you know, it's a dark ride. So it's all over very quickly. You don't really get that time to really soak it all in. But, uh, you know, I there's a ton of details at Radiator Springs Racers. And oh, yes. There's mm-hmm. There are a ton of details in Frozen Ever After in certain places. I feel like that's one of the weaker attempts at it but uh it's still it is still part of these attractions i mean look at look at rise of the resistance i mean it is just chock full of these detailed sets uh but there are these extra elements that go into it too so i i think i think that's just going to be the future and like i've I still have never watched a video and I haven't seen anything from the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction in Shanghai Disney. But that is I, amazing, but and, you better hope it's working. <laughs> you know, all all the special effects are working. Yeah, and I I think but I, I will keep my fingers crossed. At least I can't be disappointed because I've never seen video of it to to know if if it doesn't work. But I I do like from what I understand. You can correct me if I'm wrong. That is a blend of sets and effects, um, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's probably something similar to another attraction. I've watched video on um, uh, what is uh, Mystic Point in Hong Kong. What's the track Mystic? Point? Oh. Yeah, Mystic Manor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen I've seen that ride video, and I feel like that's again detailed sets, but mixed in with extra technology yes. along the way. So I, I think it's just going that way, where we're never going to have a time where it's a slow moving look where we can take it all in, like Pirates of the Caribbean or like what Ellen's Energy Adventure is uh, was. But there's there's still times. It's not all going to be guardians of the galaxy mission breakout where you just are looking at screens or something like remy's ratatouille adventure which i mean yeah there's sets in that too but i'm not i'm not as blown away by the the oversized sets as a lot of people to me the screens just jump out and distract from a lot of the sets but it's it's not i don't think it's gone forever but just the style that we are used to is long gone we've moved on Mm mm-hmm 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Um, well, we'll get into the Walt Disney Disney family category. Allison Weatherly asked, I'd love to know more about Walt's love of animals, conservation efforts, and the True Life Adventure series. Did Walt have more projects planned? Did he have specific goals related to conservation or simply connecting people to animals? Well, he did make 13 True Life Adventure films because he was concerned about the vanishing wilderness. And he felt that, you know, making these films would make people more aware of um, conservation animals and just the marvels of of nature and then he made those true life fantasies that we've talked about when they were on um, treasures from the disney vault you know and those are the like charlie the lonesome cougar and sammy the way out seal you know those and more were told a story about an animal um and then of course he created adventureland at disneyland and originally he wanted real animals on the jungle cruise and then he was talked out of that when he was told that you know the real animals probably are going to be sleeping most of the day and um so and he wanted a consistent show so that's when they went with the um audio animatronic animals otherwise i don't think he had any other future goals in mind the true life nature films and all that were had wound down by that time because walt had sort of moved on to um you know, to Disneyland and, um, you know, and creating, you know, more of an immersive experience. But, of course, the Walt Disney Company, um, you know, conservation is a big part of their mission. And um, and all that, and that comes from, you know, Walt um, and his philosophy. Yeah, I, I think there's a big one that you missed out that kind of follows along the same lines. I mean, obviously, the the True Life Adventures did really focus on animals. But uh, in terms of conservation, I like to think that uh, Mineral King was also a plan mm-hmm. in terms of conservation because literally the, the a lot of the crux behind it was – so you can actually preserve that nature and people will be able to see that beauty and and the character of that part of uh the I I'm with I know it's in Sequoia. I'm not sure if it's in National Park or if it's in the forest, but um it, it like it is so so different than Southern California in particular. And when, when Kylie and I were doing our national parks tour and we went to Sequoia national park and in the forest, like I finally, it clicked on me. I'm like, I, I totally get why Walt would want to come up here and do something with it. Like not bulldoze it and just turn it into this resort and, and go crazy with it, but really make it, an attraction that not only does it mix entertainment for the family, but also just has that beauty. Um, it's, it is, it is something, it is something else. So I feel like if that would have been able to go through, that would have been a huge way to continue conservation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it probably would have gotten overdeveloped in some point in time and it's better off that it didn't happen, but there definitely was a, a lot of the effort there was in terms of making sure people could see this beautiful landscape so um 
Well, and everything that was designed was to have a minimal impact on the environment, even buildings, minimum, minimal, even visual um, impact, even the way the um, ski lifts were created and all that just didn't want to have a huge impact on the um, just the beauty of the mountain ranges and all that. I mean, they used a lot of technology, design of the buildings and all of that, all very low buildings, no tall buildings um, and all that. And you aren't going to be able to drive into the resort. It was, you know, based very much on um, his experience in Zermatt, Switzerland, where they were, he was going to have something like a cog railway taking That's- people in. Yeah, I just I wanted to double check here that about was it in national park or if it was in the national forest. I guess back then it was still it wasn't in the middle of Sequoia National Park. Now it is. Back then it was mm-hmm. just considered part of the forest, but they would have needed because of where it was, they would have needed either a massive highway or a system to get people into and that would have just been been too much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I will ask the next question then. And let me see where I want to go. If I want to bounce out of categories, I'm going to bounce into the books one just because I really want to pick your brain on this. And, uh, uh, Michael, this one, uh, it's our only question of the book, so this came from Paul. If you were to write a book about Walt, the parks, films, or any aspect of Disney history, what would your book be on? Well, if I share this, somebody else might write the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only problem. Uh, but I've always thought if I ever write a book, I want to write a book about the women behind the mouse. All the wives of the people and how they supported um like you know i'd like to write about edna and lillian because we really don't know a whole lot about them you know we know a little about the early days when they were you know how they had to help secretly create steamboat willie and plain crazy and all that you know in the garage of their home and uh and um but even like some of the some of the wives of the animators the original animators also worked you know at the at walt disney studios and all that but i would like to i i think that's that's a subject that always has intrigued me so yeah i and i totally totally agree with you that it's uh there there's a gap in that and in terms of like books about walt I, I don't know. I feel like there's only still so many little details that can come out about him that uh, I feel like there's not necessarily a need for extra books on him. Uh, the, you can only write so many. I, I feel like a person who is finding the right aspects to write it on is um, uh, Marcy Smothers because mm-hmm. she finds the way to twist in Walt and in these stories and things that were important, but with material that feels new and fresh. So I feel like if they can keep coming up with ideas like that, then take it. But like, we don't need any more biographies on Walt and such. That's it. We're, we're, we're fine with that. And with, with the parks, I, I, I think my gap with the parks is I still feel like there needs to be more, Dis- potentially Disney authorized books on Imagineers in particular. 
I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, obviously the two Imagineering books are huge with that, and they made the Imagineering Legends book, and then you get glimpses at the brilliance of uh, Imagineering with, like, John Hench's book, but I-, I still feel like give more time to to dedicate on the Imagineers, because not to, not to bring in another question, but uh, we had a question in the Imagineering section where... Uh, where Joyce asked about some of the backgrounds of Imagineering and what they did for the positions. And uh, Joyce's, the reason why she wrote is like, she was saying that her dad had engineering skills and could definitely see him as an Imagineer. But Imagineering is way more than just engineering. I mean, I feel like it's what everyone starts with, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's so, so much to the rock work, to paint, <laughs> no, the show writing, you know, light lighting. Yeah. I mean, you know, landscaping. I mean, it's all kinds of things. Yeah. So you know, um, the the history with the archives have gotten so big. Even being a an archivist is now a job that you can be as an Imagineer to take care of all of this history and and work alongside with the Walt Disney Archives as well, commemorating or not commemorating, but making sure that that all of this history is is taken care of the way that it needs to be. It, it's not just it's not just we're going to go out and build this and build animatronics and design ride vehicles and such. It's it you can be a sculptor and be an Imagineer. You can be a painter and mm-hmm. be an Imagineer. And it just it goes it goes on and on and on. I'm sure there's Imagineers that are in horticulture just to figure out the the best way to to help with plants and attractions and such. Oh yeah, well cuz horticulture helps tell the story. Yeah. So it just it goes, it, it goes on and on and on. So I feel like I feel like a lot of those lesser known jobs in imagineering it would be cool to hear more about that. And I was hoping that that would have been a part of the the one day at Disney series that would put out the book and all of the shorts on Disney Plus but ultimately that was just kind of a disappointment when it was all said and done i, I feel like they 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 spent a little time too much time focusing on important people in areas where we already know what their days are like you know it's i i i'm not i'm not going to go too far into it but like big big celebrities and news people like i, I don't need to see what a day of their life is like i want to know about these secret hidden parts of disney Mm-hmm. especially in stuff like imagineering of of what they're doing. So, uh that's that's where I think the biggest gap would be. And then in terms of like movies and such, I I feel like there's so many good books on Disney movies that it's not really necessary, but I'll always take more. Uh, I like the like, art the art of books. That's I was that's serious absolutely going to say the the big thing that i would love to see more of is art of books and visual history books mm-hmm. because visual history ones are starting to get bigger and bigger where it's you know showing all this art but really also going into uh beyond like the concept art and stuff and really going into to how the look was created and, and enough text to go along with it but uh that's yeah that's that's my big long answer to all that <laughs> Okay, good. Let's see here. I'm going to go up to, let's see, films 
Disney Plus and Walt Disney Studios. So Paul asks two questions totally unrelated. What would you both include if allowed to program one more night of Treasures from Disney Vault? And ignoring quality of show, what attractions or aspects of the parks would you like to see in a second season of Behind the Attraction? Hmm. Clearly, Paul knows what we thought of that series, Behind the Attraction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I do need to pull up the list of everything that... uh, that was in that one, but I, I'm going to kind of cheat for the treasures of the Disney vault one because I am essentially going to choose one that actually already happened. And if they were able to ever, ever, uh, show treasures from the Disney vault again, which they won't, the one I would love to see most was the original one that started it all on December 21st, 2014. Uh, the, the breakdown of that night, it started with three shorts. Uh, it was, uh, Santa's workshop on ice and then chip and Dale. Uh, then at eight 30, they played the Disneyland story, which I know that's on Disney plus. So not as necessary, but still for this, it has to go along, uh, along with a lot of the stuff that's on there. Uh, then at nine 30 was the reluctant dragon. 11 was Davy Crockett. 12.45 was Vanishing Prairie, 2 a.m. was Third Man on the Mountain, and then 4 a.m. was Perilous Assignment, and that is the making of Third Man on the Mountain. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, there was a lot of good ones. Honestly, the first three treasures from the Disney Vault uh, broadcasts I thought were near perfect. I'll even include the fourth one. Um, uh, that one was all Halloween-based, but this one... It's the last, like, I, I got excited for Treasure to the Disney Vault each time they came on, but I will never forget watching the very first one because it was obviously December 21st. It was right before Christmas. So the house was decorated for Christmas and starting off with those holiday themed ones, it, it just, it felt like appointment television. And I can remember I, I stayed up. I want to say, like, I, I struggled through the first part, and I ended up going to bed for the Reluctant Dragon, so then I could stay up and watch the rest of the <laughs> the uh, shows that night and kind of took a break with it. But I can remember the excitement of people watching on Twitter all together, and it just it felt like classic because it was the right blend of pulling a, a Disneyland TV series episode having those shorts in there, having the reluctant dragon, uh, featuring a live action movie in the making of it, which you, they just, I, I feel like there's so many making of the, the Disney movies that were a part of the, the television series that just don't get seen anymore. Uh, I, I wish, I wish they were more accessible and I wish they were on Disney plus, but, uh, that, that first night was perfect. But honestly, I would take any of the first four, because just to go over it very quickly, the next one was March 15th, 2015, and that was Darby O'Gill. I captured the King of the Leprechauns. That was the making of that. Babes in the Woods, Story of the Animated Drawing, Three Caballeros, Walt and El Grupo, and The Fighting Prince of Donegal. And those were all fantastic. Uh, then the next one was July 2nd, Hawaiian Holiday, Beach Picnic, The Simple Things, followed by Johnny Tremaine. The Liberty Story, Living Desert, Great Locomotive Chase, Treasure of Matacombe, and Rascal. 
And I think that might have been the first one we talked about. I think it was, too. I, mm-hmm. I think it was. And another perfect one, especially after you get through the shorts. Everything else, everything that night, to me, would be appointment television. And the same thing goes for the Halloween one. It was October 28th, 2015. Uh, the Three Little Pigs, Big Bad Wolf, Three Little Wolves, followed by Ichabod and Mr. Toad, The Old Mill, Plausible Impossible, Escape to Witch Mountains, Lonesome Ghosts, Frankenweenie, Mr. Boogity, Ghosts of Buxley Hall, and then Return from Witch Mountain. Like, it, they they just absolutely killed it on on those first four. So any one of those, I would love to be able to just see again, because I, I feel like the early ones nailed it in terms of the programming blocks. There's there's not a lot of stuff I would want to add if they found the right formula for it. So that's my that's my cheating answer. And then in terms of behind the attraction <laughs> which is is painful to even have to talk about it. I I feel like I, I don't know how you feel about it, Michael, but I feel like the first season kind of hit a lot of the big ones. I'm not sure what I it would did. Really, it's a lot of the big ones. Yeah. I'm not sure what I would really add in terms of going on beyond that. Um, maybe, maybe something a little bit more involved with, uh, with Epcot perhaps. Cause I feel like that was a big gap in terms of, in terms of it. Cause you know, they covered Disneyland, Hotel, Castles, Small World, Space Mountain, Hall of Presidents, Tower of Terror, Transportation, Haunted Mansion, Star Tours, Jungle Cruise. Did they not do one on Pirates of the Caribbean? That's on my list. They did not do it. I, so I have it. And that's there are so one. many different versions <laughs> they could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a big one. Uh, I would love to see one on uh, Country Bear jamboree but i don't know if that would be enough to to do an entire episode so maybe more do one on like musical reviews that goes for like mickey mouse musical review country bear jamboree food rocks you know kind of tie all of those in and that's beyond that i feel like they hit a lot of the big ones that i feel like really need time to dive in and i'm sure internationally they could do a lot more but i just don't have as much experience as you do with that to really know what would be ripe for international parks okay well my for my um treasures from the disney vault i actually did create my own and um of course you know it has to be on my list song of the south so, with a nice intro from Leonard Malton, so setting, so calming everyone's fears and all that. So, that would be there. It would be followed by a short called Farmyard Symphonies. I have a theme. Mine is all nature, farms, and all that. And then, then of course, Treasures of the Disney Vault would start following a theme. Then they, they would then have one that had nothing to do with the theme. So that's what that's sort of what I did here. So then the short is Farmyard Symphonies. This was sort of this was a silly symphony that was sort of a prelude to um, Fantasia. This was these were animals of a farmyard going about their daily business, but it's set to various um, classical pieces of music. And the highlight of this is a, uh, is a 
rooster that's wooing a white hen and all and with all the other animals joining in until they hear a sound more welcoming to them and that's the call of feeding time from there the next one i would have is so dear to my heart and this stars the children from song of the south and this was i think this actually was the first lot mix of live action and animation that Disney did, and it's you know centers on a on a little farm boy Jeremiah, and that's Bobby Driscoll, who raises a little sort of rambunctious black lamb named Danny, and he and they are working to enter Danny into the county fair, but um, enter the contest. Jeremiah needs money, so he has to figure out how to do that, how to keep his pet in line because he's always scampering his way, and. The daydreams Jeremiah has are animated on how to get answers for um, his problems. And then the next one would be Big Red. This one is a fun one for me because we, when I was in elementary school, we um, showed Big Red in school as a fundraiser. And I helped make the posters and banners for it that we had around um, the school and in the church and all that. And this was um, uh, an Irish setter. I don't know if you've seen this film, but he, uh, you know, Walter Pigeon stars in this. So he was a big actor at the time. And he wants this dog to be, uh, you know, entered in a show, but the dog would rather run around in the woods and play. And there's a 10-year-old orphan boy that helps look after his his, um, after the dog and sort of rebels against Walter Pigeon and his discipline and all that then it'd be another short good scouts and this is when donald duck acts as a scoutmaster for his three nephews for a nature hike through the wilderness and this is the introduction to one of my favorite live action disney films and the and it debuted on the day the day walt passed and that's follow me boys and this stars fred mcmurray he's lem siddons He's a saxophonist in a jazz band, and their bus arrives in a small town of Hickory, and he decides to settle down in Hickory and falls in love with a beautiful bank clerk um, called Vida Downey, who's played by Vera Miles. And so, and, and he learns the, the, the road to love is a bit rocky, but to win her heart, one of the things he does is he decides to become the scoutmaster of the local Boy Scout troop. Troop, and that includes a young scout, Kurt Russell, in his first film role. So that's my um, night of treasures of the Disney Vault. That's a good block. Really like it. Yeah, so I thought that'd be a lot of fun. From behind the attractions, I thought one on the Disney Mountains, and they could, you know, the whole Disney Mountain range, you know, and all that they could do. Um, and then one, this might lead into your musical reviews on, but one I'm really focusing on audio animatronics and all that. And then um, another one on the submarine voyages. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, we have our Disneyland one. We had uh, yours out there in the Magic Kingdom, and then of course we had the we have the one that's in Tokyo Disney Sea, which is very different from the water the water based ones that we have out in the United States. And then um, and then yeah, international parks. The first thing I thought of was the that whole journey to the center of the Earth attraction at Tokyo Disney Sea, 
that that huge mountain and the mysterious island that they have and all that that would be um fascinating one but that could even be part of the disney mountain range too but anyway so those are some of my ideas for that so now that you mention it in that way I, i guess i didn't think about like how you can even take it further and uh you know maybe if not the musical review maybe just like theme park songs like uh one about the all the different music that you experience mm-hmm. in attractions in that way and uh, also another one i think that would be cool would be going over like live shows in the theme parks because we know there's been some wacky ones over the years and uh it's up until up until this point in time so that's another one that could go yeah on. and how they stay create them stage them and all that, and some are pretty complex. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I, I guess, there's a lot, a lot there that I didn't really think about. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so do you have another one here, Craig? Oh, uh, we have technically we're about out of time. We only have time for one more question, but there are two, and I want you to answer both of them. Okay. Um, so I, I'm sure one one is an easy one right at the end, I'm sure. But uh, Spencer asked a good question from the company one that I was interested in and said, uh, Michael is a fan and Disney aficionado in the late 70s and early 80s. Were you aware of the trouble that the Walt Disney Company was in? And was it something that was commonly discussed amongst Disney fans in popular press at the time? Oh, well, the late 70s, I was at university. In the early 80s, I was, you know, starting my teaching career and wooing uh, Carol. <laughs> so, I and, you know, we didn't have social media at the time. So, I wasn't, I really wasn't as aware uh, of the issues that were going on within the company. Because unless somebody printed it in in the newspaper or it was... You know, in the um, you know, in, in on the nightly news, you really didn't hear about it because there wasn't like an official Disney fan club. You know, there was, you know, there was some, you know, some people were printing their own Disney newsletters, but those were more for um, those about collectibles and about the parks and films and all that. So I really wasn't as aware of what was going on in the company at the time that's that's what i figured i just wanted uh i i thought that was a very interesting question though because it's <laughs> it's with the social media world that we live in today it is wild to think about even you know 20 years ago a lot of the stuff that currently gets discussed in disney parks was happening on message boards but not in in a major way beyond that and before the internet I mean, it's it just it was a complete different culture. You wouldn't hear about a lot of the stuff that happens in theme parks on a daily basis and fights and stuff like that it, without social media. So, what a weird time we live in now. But uh, the final yeah. question that I'm super interested in because I really want to hear yours on this one. But Brian asked, what episode of the show or what topic from this show proved to be the most challenging to research and produce for you? Yeah, I tried to think of what was the hardest. Um, and and you know, once I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> and I put it out of my mind. Um, 
I, you know, I'm really not sure. Uh, you know, I always say anything post Walt is really tough to find information on. Um, just because, I don't know, without Walt, people, you know, that personality, it seemed like there just aren't a lot of stories out there. You know, um, so I, I just couldn't come up with with one that was most challenging. I'd have to go back through the every single episode and figure it out. But um, some of the attraction-based ones can be really, really tough that, that we, um, we talk about because um, it's sometimes hard to find the history of attractions yeah. and, and all that. So those, those are probably some of the more difficult ones to, um, to research. Yeah, I will. I, I obviously, I don't do any of the research except for ones like this where I need to need to be able to come up and answer questions. I'll say technically the worst, the hardest one to produce ever. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, we're right up there with those Disneyland shows that we just did. Uh, but luckily, Michael uh, made sure everyone got together ahead of time and had Skype working and <laughs> everything ready. Otherwise, that would have been uh, probably very challenging. But uh, the, I think the the most difficult one was working when we did the the discussion with the authors on the holiday book of uh, holidays around the parks because that one. Uh, that was because it was such a big interview for us. We we ended up doing the video version of it too, and you know, trying to find, trying to work with them to get materials from the book to go along with what they were discussing, and just trying to make it a nice, tight interview. Because when it's ones like that that are with Disney directly, they want to make sure it's not a lot of uh, a lot of you know, moments that we leave in on this show with taking our time to come up with what we're saying. They want nice polished interviews out of it. So that one was definitely hard to uh, produce, especially in pandemic times, but it worked, it worked out a lot. That was a, a really special interview we got to do. It did. Yeah. I, I, and I agree with you. Any of the ones that are with the, anybody from the Disney company are really stressful. So I and um, because if we don't do well, we won't get anybody from the Disney company ever again. <laughs> so and um, and then some are stressful, like, you know, my my dream interview that I did for the live, you know, our live one of our live podcasts from the Give Kids the World, the Diz Family Reunion one where I was interviewing Tony Baxter. That was really stressful and all that because I didn't know I was doing it until. <laughs> A short while before the um, before I actually did the interview, so and I'm thrilled that I was able to do it. But um, I was I was very nervous throughout that one. So okay, so I think that's it then. Mm-hmm. So we had, we had a lot of good questions. So thank you everybody. And if we didn't get to yours, we're sorry, but. Be sure the next time we do this to um, submit your question. If we didn't get to it this time, submit it again. But now it's time for This Week in Disney History. All right, Craig, what do you have for us this week? 
Okay, this week I am going to the year 1998. It is August 25th, and on this day, there was a theme park album that was released that I actually, it, it was one of, it wasn't the first one that I owned, but it was the first digital one that I ever bought through the iTunes store because I had never seen it anywhere else. And that is uh, Chris Calabrese, Ragtime at the Magical Kingdoms. And I believe you can still find it on streaming platforms everywhere. And I, I know I have my digital copy that I will always have forever unless <laughs> unless uh, it's taken off of a streaming service because that's kind of the big thing that's happening in the world right now with HBO mm-hmm. Max and Warner Brothers so always make sure you have a physical copy of anything you truly love because it can be taken away from you at any point in time uh, according to all the agreements that you sign on this stuff yeah. but, same uh, thing with Netflix it's mm-hmm. happening too exactly so uh but this album it is music that you expect from a walt disney world uh disneyland album but it is all done on ragtime piano like what you would hear and uh casey's corner and that's because uh, uh chris calabrese was a main street pianist so it's that style i i know it can be probably a bit repetitive hearing that fast ragtime piano but if you have a chance to listen to this absolutely do so it i it's one of those albums that i feel like anytime i turn it on i feel like i'm actually transported into the parks in a way that i don't necessarily get from uh, an official album anymore but i still get it from from uh, albums like this where i can picture myself being on main street and listening to that piano playing. So mm-hmm. if you haven't heard it, seek it out. It's a good one. That's I, I have that one too. Or, or I listen to it on streaming. So yeah, that's, uh, and I love Ragtime. I have like the Firehouse 5 plus 2. I have some of their albums and all that. I love that. So, Well, mine goes back to August 27th, 1948. And this was um, Walt Disney, an animator, Ward Kimball, who both loved locomotives and railroads and all that, they returned back to California after a 10-day trip visiting the Chicago Railroad Fair and Henry Ford's Greenfield Village. And this was important because, well, the Railroad Fair in Illinois was an event celebrating 100 years of railroad history west of Chicago in it. But what it featured would have an impact on Walt Um, because it featured locomotives in various lands, including vacation land, an Indian village, a New Orleans section, a Gold Gulch frontier section with a haunted house and an opera house. And it had live shows and a nightly fireworks display. So all of that, a lot of that sounds really familiar to, to us theme park fans. And then um, Henry Ford's Greenfield Village, which still exists today in Dearborn, Michigan, features four centuries of historic buildings that had been moved from their original locations and laid out in an old fashioned Main Street design. So there you can see the like the Wright Brothers Bicycle Shop, Thomas Edison's Laboratory and um, and, uh, and, and all other amongst other um, buildings that Ford, you know, had brought over and reassembled and this 
influenced Walt and his concept for um, and ideas for what would become Disneyland. I've always wanted to go to Greenfield Village. I've seen videos on YouTube um, about it, and it looks like a fascinating place. I, you've got me interested in it. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything from it, but maybe one day. All right. Well, Craig, I finally watched Lightyear on Disney+. Plus. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm, I have. So do you think this Andy would have been that excited to have a Buzz Lightyear toy after watching this film? No, <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know. When you're a kid, you look at you look at stuff differently in a way. So potentially, I, I feel like you could like I, I, it, it's tough, though. I I agree with the greater majority of the world out there that thinks that if he, there was a character he would have wanted, it would have been Socks, the robotic. Oh, cat. yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, when you're a kid, you you just, I, I guess I can see the appeal of Buzz Lightyear in that way, because there's been a lot of really dumb toys released for movies that you kind of have to scratch your head about over the years. But I feel like with the importance of Buzz Lightyear as a toy, I, I don't think I got that in terms of the movie, like a toy of that size and that caliber, not, not from that movie. So I, I don't think I agree with it. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a kid it, anymore. It should have been more fun. There were long scenes of just talking, and it should have been more like for kids. It should have been more action oriented, going on an adventure, and and he and his wings and flying. And I mean, it should have been all that kind of stuff that you the way you see him playing with Buzz Lightyear, and just none of that was in the film, and um. So, yeah, so overall I found it was interesting, but I found it a bit disappointing. So, um, anyway. I had no expectations for it, so I I left okay with it. And, like, yeah, I'd watch that again. But uh, for me, it wasn't – I just – it would never be in the top of my my Pixar movies. It's definitely oh no, the lowest. not at all. It's in the lowest of the tiers, but it's not. It's not a bad movie. It's a beautiful movie. I think it's actually very entertaining for for what it is. But it's when you're stacking it up against classic Pixar movies, it just doesn't doesn't compare. Yeah, and then it had a revelation that sort of goes against some of the canon in a Toy Story movies, I'm not going to give it away. I thought, really? And so, um, anyway, and then it's clear if you if you sit through the credits, and you do, if you haven't seen it, you have to sit through the credits, because there's, I think, two post-credits scenes. Yes. Um, they're clearly setting you up for a sequel that's, I doubt is going to happen <laughs> at this point. So... Anyway, which is too bad. It's unfortunate. It's time to let Toy Story move on. <laughs> I agree. I, I, I think they've probably told all their stories about toys. Yeah. Oh, but there's one voice. Last week we talked about Luck from Skydance Animation. And um, there is a voice that you'll be surprised and delighted to hear that in... Um, 
that that we most commonly associated with we with um, Pixar films. So. Oh, I. Uh, okay, I, I have a feeling I I know who you're talking about, but I'll, probably I'll watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see, see if you recognize it. Anyway, so Craig, as of this recording, you are sailing in Alaska. So, what are some of your plans? Oh, what have you? Uh, what are your shore excursions? And from what ship are you on? And things like that. Uh, we're on the Disney Wonder, so we can create lots of content on Alaska for DCL fan. So, uh, DCLfan.com and YouTube.com slash DCL fan. And then, of course, the DCL show that you can find on all the podcast platforms. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a long time since the Diz has covered Alaska. The last time we really went like full depth into it was back in 2013 when we did the Beyond the Parks, uh, special series and so we're finally going back to it with a big crew so that way we can uh cover it from written aspect uh we get to cover it obviously from video and make lots of shows about it but we are doing a ton of excursions as long as they go off because the hard part of uh, Alaska is when the weather is bad, that really messes with excursions. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, too, apparently there's rock slides happening in Skagway that are is causing a whole lot of issues. So uh, I heard there's an issue with the railway. Yeah, um, the the pier that most of the ships park at, I guess, is I never knew it by this, but it is the White Pass Railroad pier and the mm-hmm. train can come all the way out to the pier. But because of the rock slides, it can't currently do that. So uh, there's just there's a lot. Of, there's a lot going wrong with that right now. And so uh, assuming in an ideal world, if everything went perfect uh, for the Skagway day, we do have a train ticket booked for uh, to to experience the White Pass Railway because I've driven now into the Yukon Territory twice, and really, I've I've done that so much that. I, I want to say I don't ever need to do it again, but I really want to see it from a different perspective. And I know a lot there's, of people. Oh, there's gorgeous views from there. Yeah. And that's and so like I know it from driving and I know how nice it is to pull over the car and be able to stop and get out and take in the views. But I know so many people do take the train up that I'm like, I guess I need to see it from that perspective eventually because what happens when you can't just stop and get out? What happens when you can only see it from this one perspective that's not right up against the road? It's it's usually on the opposite side. So it's definitely a different perspective that uh, I, I hope goes off without a hitch. But if it doesn't, that's that's okay. I'll find another plan. Uh, but that uh, the, while we're in Skagway, uh, Rhino's obviously a dog lover. So we are going to go to one of the... Uh, the dog mushing camps and get to ride on the 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 wheeled dog sleds that mm-hmm. they use to train the the dogs on so we're gonna we're doing that as well too and that's our skagway day and for juno right now we have uh kayaks booked for uh where the the park where mendenhall glacier is and oh yeah mm-hmm. we're gonna do a kayak tour where we get to get very close to the glacier we did kayaking in ketchikan 
my son and I did. That was oh, fun. Very nice. Yeah, it's. I, I thought with the glacier, like that's that's a cool experience trying to get up close to that. So I, I chose it for that reason. And then for Ketchikan right now, I, I don't like Ketchikan that much. So all we have booked for that is the the great Alaskan lumberjack show, which I'm I'm fine with. I don't. I, Ketchikan's one of those places where I I want to eat while I'm in that I'm in town and walk around the the I can't the name of the market that's all wooden and old fashioned and and such. But beyond that, I'm, Ketchikan's the the one place where I'm like I can be in and out of here in a couple hours. I don't I don't well, eat all day like the other ports. Yeah, we did two shark excursions there. Well, poor Carolyn. Joni, our daughter, they they did a, a totem pole tour. Oh my gosh, they learned more about totem poles than they ever wanted to yeah. know. It was just dreadful for them. Jerry and I, we went on, um, we did the kayaking, and then we took a float plane, which I'm amazed we survived, and, and landed. We, we we flew somewhere, landed where there was a a small salmon cannery and the salmon were running and then we walked on a path in order to watch the brown bears eat the salmon and we were so close to them they had a yellow um you know yellow tape up so yeah. that we wouldn't cross over and i'm thinking what if the bears know not to cross over this yellow tape <laughs> but they and there were so many bears and but they were more interested in the salmon they didn't care that we were there at all yeah, that's a but, that's a easy easy lunch to get more than humans but yeah i did <laughs> i did a float plane in ketchikan the last time that i was there with my family and that was that was kind of, it was one of those very special ones where it's like I don't I don't want to necessarily redo this. I want to have this memory. And mm-hmm. anytime I get lucky enough to come back, I'll find other things to do there. But I want I want that for that right now at least I want that float plane experience to be to continue on being special and the last memory of that being with with my family and, and the yeah. tons of fun we had with that. So it, yeah. it's very cool. I do recommend that to people if they've never Yeah, done it. it's great. It's great. And then in Skagway what Carol and I used to do because we we'd done the White Pass Railway and we'd done the tours in town and it's a great walking around town. Um, but we would go, we'd take the ferry boat to Haines, and then we would go on one of those like boats like they have in the Everglades. Mm-hmm. They had a um, eagle preserve, and then we would um, go through there and see eagles and other critters and stuff like that as well. And that was always fun. And sometimes it would be combined with a salmon bake or something like that. So, yeah, anyway. uh, it's it's good. But those are the big plans right now. And whatever happens will happen. We'll probably have to change plans as it goes along. But it's it's OK. We're going to we're going to make the best of it. And, you know, hopefully going up to see Dawes Glacier will be as beautiful as always. And I, I I'm really just excited to be in a better uh, temperature than what I'm dealing with in Florida, <laughs> and I'll have a day in Vancouver to see that city again for the third time now, which mm-hmm. I just love it so much. And yeah, it's it's going to be very nice. Yeah, I love uh, cruising Alaska. It's just so wonderful. I think we've done it four times, and uh, I don't think and I could do it again. I mean, it's great. 
Yeah, so. it's it'll be my third time, second time on the Disney Wonder for Disney Cruise Lines version. If I can ever convince Pete to get off of Disney with Alaska, I, I want that to happen so much. And I will volunteer to go back if we can just do Princess or another cruise line. Yeah, and go into Glacier Bay. Exactly. Go into Glacier Bay. You have to that do was, that. Again, I'm happy that the last time I did that one was with my family, and it's a very special memory. Every every day of that trip, I will I hold very dear in my heart. But like, I feel like every Pete has spent years uh, talking about how DCL is the best way to do Alaska, and I'm like, not until you've gone up to Glacier Bay and you end in Anchorage. That's mm-hmm. that's the way to do Alaska. Yeah, I agree. So we've we've done Princess three times and in Royal Caribbean, which was a Diz cruise, we did once. But twice we've been in Glacier Bay, and then the other two times they didn't go into Glacier Bay. So, well, I hope you have a wonderful time. I hope you see lots of um, hope you see lots of sea life and whales and all the things that you talked about before. <laughs> And all I, that, so I, I don't have good luck with that stuff. But uh. oh, the best one was on our second cruise to Alaska. Carol and I, we had um, we had a balcony. I think it was one of the first times we ever had a balcony on a cruise, and it was Princess. And we were having terrible luck looking at um, looking for seeing anything. And there was a, a couple on a honeymoon next in the next cabin and then the interesting thing is is that her parents were in the stateroom next to them so this is a fascinating honeymoon and so then um but the lady the, the 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 new bride she had amazing luck anytime she was out that's uh, I'm looking at things. That's when all the animals would frolic and jump in the water, and bears running on shore with moose and, and eagles in the sky. I don't know how it happened, but there was one time I think um, there was Carol and I had these raffle tickets we'd accumulated because I think we were going to the art, the art shows, the art auctions because there was a piece of art we were interested in, and that's actually hanging in our front room, and. Every time you went and did something, you got a raffle ticket. So they were having the raffle, and that's how we got the art. We actually won it. And um, I'd forgotten the raffle ticket. So I ran back up to the room, and I looked out and saw – I thought, I wonder if I'll see something. And then the lady was on the balcony, and I said, do you see anything? She says, yes, there's a whale. She just saw a whale out there. The whale came up right beneath our balconies and looked at us and it was amazing and then it went went down back into the water and all that as far as i know it went into the ship i don't know where it went but i thought wow that was incredible so um yeah that is yeah so it was really neat so so hopefully you'll have experiences like that so i hope you have a wonderful time looking forward to seeing everything that you you um post Thanks. Yeah. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? 
Uh, well, if you're in Alaska, you can connect with me. But uh, <laughs> no. uh, as always, you can find me on all the shows I'm on, on the Dis Unplugged Podcast Network. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. And you can email me, Craig, at DisneyInfo.com. But what about you, Michael? You can send me messages at Michael Bowling at DisneyInfo.com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyUnplugged.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. 